Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Billy. I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, that's a huge honor and privilege for me to do that and uh, serve you guys in that capacity. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 15. Uh, John chapter 15. Uh, if you've been here uh, this year at all, we have been walking through the gospel of John. And so we've been looking at uh, the gospel of John. We've made it all the way to chapter 15. And uh, we've been in this series called The Real Jesus. And what we've been looking at uh, in this series uh, is really what Christ and what God has said about himself uh, in the scriptures. And so we live in a time and age, uh, in a day and age, where people are kind of uh, really drifting towards creating their own Jesus. Um, you know, we live in a place where people uh, go to church often. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, to be a Christian is kind of a normal thing around here, and because of that, uh, people have kind of drifted away from reading God's word uh, to actually uh, learn who Christ revealed himself as through his word, and have really just adopted uh, whatever view of Christ that they want. And uh, one of the things that we uh, want here at Connection Church is for you to know uh, not just a Jesus, but the Jesus uh, that we see in scripture, because your joy, your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your purpose in life is not found in making up your own Christ. It's found in knowing the Christ of God's word. And so that's what we're doing. That's kind of where we are. John chapter 15, uh, we're getting close to Jesus being on the cross. And so he's just about to be betrayed by uh, Judas and he's about to be arrested. And then uh, 24 hours later, he'll be crucified. Three days later, he'll be resurrected. And then 40 days after that, he'll ascend uh, up to to heaven, and so he's in his last moments with his disciples. In these, it's called the farewell discourse. We've been looking at it for the past few chapters, but that just kind of catches you up where we are. Um, so, if you got it, John 15, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you didn't bring your Bible, so let's read together. This is the Word of God. Jesus says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit." while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will make even more so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word i have spoken to you remain in me as i also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here we get our seventh and final I am statement in the book of John. So over the past few chapters, Jesus has also been revealing himself with I am statements. And this word I am should ring a bell if you know anything about the Old Testament. Um, back in Moses' day, when Moses is getting ready to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, they were enslaved in Egypt, and God sends Moses to deliver them, and Moses is kind of uh, insecure and not confident. He's really fearful. And uh, he says, well, who should I tell them is sending me in here to the Pharaoh to tell them to let my people go? 
And God responds back to him, and he says, you tell him that I am sent you. I am I, capital I, capital A, capital M. And so God reveals himself in the Old Testament as I am, and then thousands of years later, Jesus comes to the earth, God in the flesh, on earth 2,000 years later, and he begins to say the same thing. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And so he's revealing himself to be God. And he gives us this incredible metaphor. Um, and this, of course, is loaded. Uh, there's just a loaded statement when he says, I am the true vine. And hopefully today I can do it a little bit of justice. You could probably preach four or five different sermons on this. So uh, get ready. I'm going to come at you from a few different angles here. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Uh, in the context, uh, Jewish people uh, in the first century probably would have read this maybe uh, in a little deeper way than we read it. When we read You Are the Vine and the Branches, the big deal to us is like, oh yeah, we need to plug into God, and uh, when we do that, we produce fruit. But for the Jewish people, uh, it would have rang a bell and taken them all the way back to the Israelites in the Old Testament because God has used this imagery of the vine, uh, and he uses it in the Old Testament to describe the Israelites or God's people in the Old Testament. But every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's actually used in a negative context. It is always accompanied with a declaration that the Israelites were a vine that did not bear fruit, therefore the wrath of God was coming for them. And so they would have heard it and been like, oh no, not the vine talk again. Um, but what we see here. Um, in the, when he uses the vine terminology, is Jesus is really turning that on its head, and he's saying, hey, you are no longer supposed to be the vine. I'm the true vine. So that's what he means when he says that, and he says, I am doing what you can't do, and I am being what you have not been able to be. This is nothing short of Jesus coming and declaring the gospel to them, that all of the hard work that they had done in the Old Testament to try to be who God asked them to be and failed and worked really hard and tried to do everything God had asked him to do and failed, and even though they couldn't accomplish it, Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm now gonna do that for you. I'm gonna be the true vine. He's entering into their failure, and he's entering into uh, the failure uh, of what they had not been able to do and produce the fruit that God wanted them to produce, and no matter how hard they had worked and tried to do it, they could not do it, and Jesus is basically saying, hey, I've got this. I've got you, and I've come to be the true vine. And in me, you're going to be able to produce the fruit that I want you to be able to, to, to produce. That's the first thing. The second way you can kind of look at it uh, is really think deeply into the metaphor. And this is probably how most of us read uh, this passage. It is a great way to think about your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, now, you have to be a little bit careful with metaphors in the Bible because metaphors usually have one point that Jesus is trying to make. And so if you get caught up in all the little details, a lot of times you can go directions with things that Jesus is saying that he's really not trying uh, to say. But Jesus's main point here is that the ultimate goal for our lives as a believer is that we would produce fruit. God wants us to be fruit-bearing believers, meaning that we produce fruit that show people who he is in this world. Now to live this out and to bear fruit as a Christian, we kind of have to learn this process and dig into this metaphor a little bit. Jesus says, I am the vine, and he says, you as believers are the branches, and then he says, my father is the gardener. And so the imagery that he's using is the imagery of that of a tree or a vine. Now, I don't know how much experience you guys have 
uh, growing trees or growing vines. If you do, you could probably explain this better than I can. I'm not very much a, a green thumb guy, but I, I, can, I know what a tree looks like, right? So uh, if you think about a tree, the branches on a tree are supported by the main trunk of the tree, right? Water comes in through the roots, nutrients come up through the main part of the tree, go into the branches, the branches then produce fruit, right? That's how a tree uh, works. And so apart from uh, a vine or apart from that main trunk of the tree, if you cut a branch off, what happens? It withers up and it dies, right? It goes away uh, because it's not able to get the nutrients and the life that comes from the main part of the tree. However, when that branch is plugged into the trunk of the tree and is able to get life and nutrients and water and everything that it needs, what happens? It flourishes, right? Flourishes, it produces the fruit that it was intended to produce. And so, but not only that, he even says that we have a father, God the Father, who is a gardener. And he's kind of roaming around in the orchard or wherever the tree uh, are, are growing, and he's tending to them, and he's watering them and planting them. And if they're dead, he's removing them out of there. If they're bad branches, uh, then he's cutting them off. If they're good branches, he's actually pruning them, and he's lifting them up, cutting them back a certain way so that the next year they can grow more and they can produce more fruit for the kingdom of God. So this is an incredible picture of our lives as a believer and how it's intended to work. Thirdly, uh, I want to clarify a couple uh, common mis misinterpretations in this passage. So verses 1 and 2, you may have read and kind of got scared a little bit, so let me clarify it. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. The father cuts off every branch in me. It's important that you know it's Jesus talking, so when he says every branch in me, he's saying if there is a branch that is in Christ, so that would be a person in Christ, it says the Father cuts off every branch in Christ that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So you should read that and be like, hold on now. Pastor, you're telling me I can be a branch in Christ, but if I don't produce fruit, that God's gonna cut me off, meaning I can lose my salvation. That's not what the scripture is saying. We've, we've talked about many times in the book of John this picture of eternal security, right? We talked about in John chapter three how that when we believe in Christ, we receive eternal life. Eternal means forever. You can't take that away from a person. We spoke about in John chapter six where John says, no one can snatch a believer out of the hands of the Father. If God saved you, then no, nothing can separate you from God because nothing's more powerful than God and his promises. Ephesians 1 teaches that when we're saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning we are sealed and nobody can take that away from us. Nobody can get us away from the Father. And so what is Jesus referring to? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is he knows that Judas is in the room and he knows that Judas has just betrayed him and it's kind of thrown the believers and the disciples for a loop here. And what he's saying is that there is a type of person that would say they are a branch, that they are a believer in Christ that does not produce fruit, and Jesus would say they are not a true believer. And so I think that's what he's doing. He's saying the true believers produce fruit and are pruned, and the false believers say they're in Christ, but they do not produce any fruit, because to be a Christian is to produce fruit. That's what he says. You will know them by their fruit. That's how he ends the passage. And so what Jesus clarifies for us 
is the father's work as the vine dresser or the father's work as the gardener. One part of the father's work is to judge. God the Father is the judge, and so it is his job to go around the orchard, and if there are false believers in the orchard, he's going to judge, and he knows whether we are a true believer or whether we are not. And the second job of God the Father as the gardener is to go around the uh, the orchard and find the trees, and the ones that are, are believers, his job is to prune them. So thinking about that, I don't know how much you guys know about pruning, but pruning is not a... Uh, it's kind of a painful process. You know, you almost wish that that wasn't in the Bible. Like, hey, if you're a true believer, rejoice. God's with you and everything's going to be great. And he says, hey, if you're a true vine, actually, you need to expect to be pruned. Meaning that when a, when a, when a tree is pruned, it's, it's ultimately good for the tree because you cut the limbs in a certain way that they would actually grow and flourish more the next year. But when God begins to cut things out of our life and expose things in our life, things that are hindering us from growing spiritually, a lot of times these things can be painful. Because if you're anything like me, then there's certain things in your life that you enjoy that may be the very things that are hindering you from growing spiritually. Or there may be people in your life that you enjoy being around that sometimes need to be removed out of your life so that you can begin to grow Spiritually, And so we need to understand that this is something that God wants to do in our life. That anything in your life that's hindering you from growing spiritually, God the Father wants to remove it from your life because his greatest ultimate goal for your life is that you would grow and produce more fruit. But if we have this mindset, this shallow mindset as a believer that when we get saved, everything's gonna go good for us, God loves us, and he's kind of a fairy God, and, the, and he does everything the way we want him to do it, we're missing the point. And so we need to understand God is working in our lives to produce fruit, to move us toward spiritual maturity. And a lot of times that takes him exposing and removing sin from our lives, uh, moving us out of our comfort zone. Um, it, can, it can even in, involve suffering and persecution because God says that purifies our faith. And so in different seasons of our life, God's gonna bring us into different things for the sake of us growing and flourishing as a Christian. And write this down. Pruning is never comfortable, but it's always fruitful. It's always fruitful. It can look a hundred different ways, but it's important that we remember the heart of the gardener. His heart is to grow us, is to move us toward maturity, and he does what he does out of love. And God is pruning us to grow us. And the reality is we cannot grow without God pruning us, stretching us, and disciplining us in the Christian life. And so we need to understand the role of the gardener. Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through 11, I think communicates it really, really well. Verse five, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. I think pruning and discipline are very similar in the Bible. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So listen, verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. So those hardships that you're facing in your life don't mean that you've always done something wrong. 
Sometimes God brings hardship on our life because he's trying to do something in us that he couldn't do if we weren't in the hardship. Now, sometimes we make the hardships for ourselves by making sinful decisions and leading our own self, so don't confuse those. But sometimes it isn't because we've done something wrong that we're in the hardship. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Somebody say holiness. Listen to this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So don't ever assume that you're going through a hardship for no reason. God is doing something in you and through you. The fourth and final thing I'll point out about this is in verses four through eight. It says, remain in me as also I remain in you. Somebody say remain. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, then you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, thus showing yourselves to be my disciples. So you see this connection in here between remaining in the vine and bearing fruit. That's an important connection to make because what God's trying to show you is that his goal for your life is that you would bear much fruit and the pathway to bearing that fruit is learning how to remain or abide in the vine. That's what he wants you to say. Seven times, seven times in eight verses, he says to remain in me, abide in me. The purpose of the branch is to serve as a vehicle through which the vine, Christ, expresses itself. The branch bears the fruit which the vine produces. Think about it. Grapes do not appear on the trunk of the vine. The branches serve the vine by bearing the grapes and producing the fruit. You see, God has chosen each of us as believers to, uh, to express his love and his uh, purposes in the world through us. And spiritual fruit in the Christian life comes only as a result to being plugged in and connected to the vine. So as we have a relationship with God, as we walk with God in relationship, what happens is we begin to produce the fruit of God in the world. People see Christ in us and through us, through the way we love others, through the way we love God, through the way we help other people. And so the pathway to bearing fruit is remaining in Christ and abiding in Christ. So the question of the day and really the question that you have to ask yourself when you read this passage is this, what does it mean to remain in Christ? How do we abide in Christ? How do we abide in Christ? This is a great question, and really the question I want to look at today. But before we do that, let's finish out the passage. Verse 9. 
It's almost he says the same thing over and over again, but he says it in a little bit different way. So listen. As the Father has loved me, this is verse nine, so also I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, then you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his own friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, and this is my command, love each other. I mean, what an incredible passage. I'm telling you, there are not many passages in the Bible that are as practical and as helpful as John chapter 15. It's so helpful for us as believers because it clarifies our God-given purpose. Like if you're a believer in this room, God says, I chose you and I appointed you for the purpose of bearing fruit in the world. That's his ultimate goal for you. But not only that, then he gives you the pathway to this God-given purpose for your life. And he says the pathway is to, to abide in him, to walk with him and to obey him. So I want you to write a couple things down. Here's the three things I want you to know, and I really want to talk about the third one for the rest of the sermon. The first one is this. God saved us to enjoy him and to bear fruit for his glory. Very simply, write that down. You got your phone, you got lipstick, pen, whatever you got in your hand, I want you to write that down. Number one, God saved us, if you're a Christian, to enjoy him and to bear fruit for his glory. That's what he wants. Number two, <clears throat> joy and fruit are the natural overflow of abiding in Christ. So joy and fruit are the natural overflow of abiding in Christ. And then finally, number three, abiding in Christ is to be connected and aligned. I want you to underline those two words. Connected and aligned to Jesus in every way. So abiding in Christ is simply to be connected to Christ and to be aligned to Christ in every way, in every area of your life. It's to be one. It's a picture of a union with Christ. Christ in you, you in Christ. As you live, Christ lives. Christ lives, you live. That's the picture of union with Christ, to be at one with him, his spirit in you and you in him. And you're walking that out in, a, in that identity and in this union. It means that our salvation has been secured in Christ. It means that our identity and our purpose is found in him alone. It means that our joy as a Christian is flowing from him. It means that our attitude and our actions are reflecting him. Like that's what abiding looks like. I love how 1 John chapter 2 Verse 27, the same author of the Gospel of John clarifies remaining in him for us. Listen to what his words. He says, as for you, talking to believers, the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit, the anointing you received from Christ remains in you, 
and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing, the Holy Spirit teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. I love that. He says, just as this anointing is teaching you, thank you, just as his anointing is teaching you about this truth, that's the Holy Spirit, remain in it. Walk out this truth. And as we walk out this truth, we are remaining in Christ. As the Spirit teaches you truth, you walk it out and you walk in it. So to abide, write this down, means that we are allowing God's Word and we are allowing God's Spirit to fill our minds, to direct our wills, and to transform our affections. That's what's happening. That's what it means. When you're abiding in Christ, what's happening is God's Word and God's Spirit who work together fill our minds, they direct our wills, and they transform our affections. That's what happens. And this happens through us walking in a relationship with God on a daily basis, not compartmentalizing Him, but letting Him into every area of our life. We're constantly denying our flesh, which is what the Bible says is our old self that wants to live for you and do what you want to do when you want to do it. We're denying the flesh and we're beginning to walk by the Holy Spirit, meaning we're allowing the desires of Christ, the Word of God, Spirit of God work in us and to lead and guide us and to renew our way of thinking. And this begins to shape every area of our life. And so we see how that abiding begins to produce fruit because what it does is it starts with the Spirit of God, renews our minds, renews our hearts, and then begins to reflect in our actions. Every part of who we are is resting in Christ, walking through the power of the Holy Spirit, and operating under the Lordship of Christ. If you're anything like me, you'd be like, Billy, man, that sounds hard. And I tell you, it is hard. And it is a process that you will be in for the rest of your life. And the good news of this passage is, did you notice where Jesus said, hey, you're already clean. Did you notice he said that? In verse five, verse six, he says, you are already clean because you've believed the words that I've told you. And so part of it is understanding salvation, that in salvation, we've already been made clean, and yet we're still working towards the righteousness that we've already been given. That's what God is doing. We're becoming one with Christ, total surrender, total oneness. Our hearts, our thoughts, our affections, our actions are all becoming one with Jesus Christ. And the cool reality that John says in verse 16 is that as Christ's word dwells in us and his spirit fills us, then we will begin to pray in a way that's consistent with the will of God. And then we'll discover the truth that he tells us that whatever we ask in Jesus's name, the Father will give you because we'll actually begin to pray for things that God wants to do. And so if we find in ourselves a bunch of selfish praying, a lot of times that indicates that we're not truly abiding in Christ because when we abide in Christ, we pray kingdom things, not just selfish things. So the question of the day, of course, is how do we abide in Christ? Pastor, how do we do this? Do we just go in a room all day and pray? I think it's a little bit more than that, but that's, that's a start. Uh, do we... Do we have the worship team just follow us around with a guitar and pray, uh, play Amazing Grace behind us everywhere we go? Now, that'd be kind of cool, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Um, do we just walk around with index cards with memory verses on them and just memorize the Bible all day? Is that what abiding in Christ looks like? No, I think it's more than that. I think it's a little deeper. And so there's four things that come to my mind from this passage when it comes to 
abiding in Christ. Number one is salvation. Salvation. We cannot abide in Christ if we aren't in Christ. Right? We can't abide in Christ if Christ isn't in us. So we have to understand what he means in verse 5 when he says, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Or in verse 9 when he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Well, we can't remain in the love of Christ if we haven't experienced the love of Christ. You see, true salvation is a prerequisite to abiding in Christ. You know, it helps to understand what actually happens at salvation. This is one of the things we try to do in our heart and soul class is really clarify for people what it means to be saved because most people's view of salvation is I prayed a prayer when I was six at the altar and I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's not all wrong, but it's definitely incomplete. Like we need to understand what the Bible teaches about true salvation. When we hear the gospel and we believe in Jesus Christ for, for our saving, for as our Savior and our Lord, God actually does a miracle inside of us. And what happens is he, he creates us new. We are made new is what the Bible says. It's not an old person getting better. It is an old person becoming a new person. That's what he says. God changes our heart and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. So now God is living inside of us as a believer. Previously, he was not there. Now he is there, and he brings new desires, and he brings a new way of life. That's one thing. The other side is positionally. Positionally, every person in this room is born in the lineage of Adam and Eve, right? So the Bible says we are born into Adam. But when you become saved, what happens is you go from the lineage of Adam into the lineage of Christ. The Bible calls it in Romans 5, you were in Christ uh, you are in Adam, and now you are in Christ. Let me explain that. It means before salvation that we're all born into sin. Adam is kind of the father of sin. All sin came into the world through him. So that means we're born into the world into sin. We have a sin nature. Sin is not just something we do. It's actually who we are. We are controlled by it, and we are a slave to it. How do I know that? Every baby born into this world cries when they do not get what they want when they want it. And if you're honest with yourself, you may be a little more grown than a baby, but you're the same thing. And I'm the same thing. And that's how we know we're born into sin because we want what we want, when we want it, and we wanna do things how we wanna do it, when we wanna do it. That is the curse of sin that's in us. We're controlled by it and we're a slave to it. And all of this is a result of our father, Adam. But when we're saved, what happens is our positioning changes. We're no longer under sin we move to now being in Christ. So we were in sin, but now we're made righteous. We're connected back to God. Christ is now in us. We are now in Christ. He sets his love on us and puts his power in us, which now works inside of us to produce godliness. That's what he does. It's an absolute miracle. And this is why salvation is the first step of abiding in Christ, and we have no ability to abide in Christ if the power of God is not at work in us. This understanding and reality allows us to truly rest in our identity, and it allows us to take advantage of the unconditional access that we have to God because of Christ. So many of us in this room, we can't enjoy God's presence because we're constantly worried about earning the love of God and working our way to him, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ came and did everything necessary to save you. 
So that now when you've surrendered your life to him, you're in Christ. Christ accepts you based on Christ alone. God accepts you based on his merit, what he's done. It's been imputed to you, credited to you, so that now when you sin and when you slip and when you fall, no matter what, you can come to Christ because your acceptance and his love for you is not based on you, it's based on Christ. And this is part of abiding in Christ. Secondly, abiding in Christ is about enjoying a relationship with God. I mean, who in here knows God wants a relationship with you? This just blows me away. I mean, I could preach this every Sunday, that the God of the universe with billions and billions of people on this earth, thousands of people in this, in this city, hundreds of people in this room, and yet he looks down and wants a relationship with me. And if you're not full of yourself, that means something, that Christ would look onto you the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything you've done, sin in your past, and look and say, hey, I want, I, want, I want a relationship with him. I want him to be my son. I want her to be my daughter. And this is Christ. He wants you to enjoy a relationship with him. Part of abiding in Christ is just learning to be with God, to love enjoying spending time with God in his presence and walking. So many of us miss this. Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And this is what abiding in Christ is all about, walking in this relationship. It means we spend time with Christ. We spend time with Christ in his word because in his word is where we get to know him. You know, if it's a physical person, you hang out with them physically. But Christ is spiritual, and so we spend time with him in spirit, in his word, and he talks to us through his word, and we talk back to him in prayer. And so part of abiding in Christ is, is learning to intentionally have time in the word of God and have intentional time in prayer. Paul says that he prayed uns, like literally all the time, never ceased. On every occasion, give thanks and pray unceasing. I mean, he was just praying all the time. It means we worship. We see David in the book of Psalms just singing to God. Why do we sing on Sundays? Because we're singing the gospel. Because as we sing, we, joy flows into our heart and we sing the truths of God's word over us because literally Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over us with singing. And so we're reminding ourselves of how God feels about us and how we feel about God and what God's done for us and it moves us to be in the presence of God. He's already in here, but it just reminds us that he's with us and he's for us. And then, of course, in community. How many of you guys know when you're spending time with other believers, if the Spirit of God is in them, then as you spend time with them, you're spending time in the presence of God. This is the power of connect groups. This is why we're so big about not just coming to church on Sunday, but being a part of a small group is because as you spend time with other believers, the presence of God in you and the presence of God in them meets together and God is there and we experience the presence of God of God, and we can enjoy, we can learn to enjoy that. I hope you enjoy church. That's why we don't sing up here like it's a funeral. Like, we're not dead. And when I'm dead, I ain't even dead. I'm in heaven, so y'all better not be singing like that. Like, we're, we're worshiping God. We're celebrating what he's done for us. We should be happy. We should be excited to be in church. Doesn't mean we can't talk about serious things and show reverence to God, of course, but at the end of the day, like, man, this is exciting stuff that we get access to the presence of God. 
And in his presence is where God does his greatest work in us. We can't physically see him. So we experience his presence through his spirit in us, in his word, through prayer, in community. And as we walk in this real relationship with Jesus, we actually learn what it means to abide in Christ. And for most of us, we'll, I mean, for all of us, we'll never quit learning about what it means to abide in Christ until we die or until Christ comes back to get us. So there's nobody that's got abiding in Christ figured out. Like this is all something we all have to do every day to make our home in Christ. Experience his love, experience his leading. The spirit in us aligns us with the will of God. Our affections begin to grow for Christ. Our minds begin to be renewed. Our lives are being transformed. But so many of us miss this because we compartmentalize our relationship with God. And this is the, the, probably the biggest enemy of abiding in Christ. We see uh, uh, in the morning from 8.15 to 8.30 before I walk into work, this is my time with God. And then for the rest of the day, I'm going to do kind of whatever I want to do. Or, hey, I, I was with Jesus. I went to church Sunday. But that's not abiding. It literally means to make your home in, to stay in, to rest in the presence of God, to be with God all the time. To understand that God is for you and God is with you and you have the spirit of God. So God is with you wherever you go and not compartmentalizing him to just a time in your morning or in your day where you're sitting down to read the Bible. Not that that's not important. That is important. But at the end of the day, we need to know that Christ is not a checklist. Christ is present with us. And we need to learn to enjoy it. How would your life change today if you stopped doing all these religious things for God and you just focused on being with God, what would that change about your relationship with God? If you, if you just knocked out all the checklist stuff that you do, like I gotta go to church, gotta serve, gotta read my Bible, gotta do those things, and you just began to enjoy being with God, it would change everything. It would change everything in some of our relationships with God. Because remember, the invitation to follow Jesus, first and foremost, was an invitation to be with Jesus. Before he said follow, he said, hey, come, come to me, and then you can follow me. And so think about it. The early believers, they were with Christ physically. They were with him. They got to see what he, what he did. They got to hear how he taught. They got to see what kind of things that he did. They learned from him. This is what following Jesus is all about. We get to be with Christ, abide in him, to be at home with God, to be with God. That's what abiding is all about. So whether we're at church whether we're at home, whether we're coaching a sport, whether we're teaching at a school, whether we're in a business, wherever you go, go abiding in Christ. The next is obedience. Abiding in Christ, number, uh, letter C, is, that, is about walking in obedience. Did you, verse 10, listen. He says, if you keep my commands, then you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. So write this down. To abide in Christ is to walk in obedience to Christ. So to abide in Christ is one, to be saved. To abide in Christ, two, is to enjoy relationship with God, every area of your life. And three, to abide in Christ is to obey Christ. So if we wanna abide, we have to obey Christ. Write this down. Walking in obedience to Christ leads to our complete joy. 
So don't you love this about God? This is why I say all the time we're created by God and for God. Because for some of us in this room, we don't get this. Like, we think joy is somewhere outside of God. Like, man, if I could just get this house, if I could just get this job, I could marry this girl, if I could do this, man, something in the world you're looking to to provide satisfaction and happiness. The problem is, is you're not created for this world. Like, if you're created by God, the best person to tell you what you're created for is him. And he's telling you, I've created you to bear fruit and to believe. I've created you to obey me. And I've also intrinsically woven your joy, complete joy, the most joy you could ever have in your obedience to me. And this is why some of us, y'all hear me talk about it. And you're like, Billy, you're supposed to say that. You're the preacher. Like you're a professional Christian. You should do that, right? But for some of us in this room, we don't know because we've never experienced it. So like we kind of trust God. Like, yeah, I mean, I got Billy. I, I think it's joyful, but man, there's just one area of my life. I'm just, I'm not giving that to him. I like this. And you buy into the lie that your joy is found somewhere else. And that's ultimately what sin is, is you believe that over God. And so for a lot of us in this room, our first step of faith literally will feel like stepping off of a cliff. And when we step off that cliff, guess what we don't know? We kind of think God's going to be there because Pastor Billy said he's going to be there. But until we step off and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to fill me with complete joy in my obedience, until we step off and he catches us and he gives us that joy, we'll never trust it. But for some of us, the fear of stepping off because we don't believe the word of God is what's holding us back in our relationship with God. And until we begin to step in faith, we will never experience the fullness of joy. And we will never believe that God's better than whatever we're holding on to. Even though the God of the universe is sitting right here this morning and telling us, your joy is found in me and me alone. It's found in obeying me. This is so, an incredible, incredible truth. How many of us in this room want to experience complete joy? Hopefully everybody in this room. I mean, if your hand's not up, you're lying. You want joy. Everybody in this room wants complete joy. And I got good news for you. You can experience it. You just got to obey God. And so here's the question. In what ways is God asking you to be obedient right now? In what area of your life is he asking you to be obedient right now? Is it salvation? Is it maybe giving up some sin that you're holding on to in your life that you know every time you walk in church and every time you open the Bible, he brings to your mind? Is it maybe forgiving someone in your life that's hurt you? What is it that God's asking you to do? What's holding you back? If joy is on the other side, what's holding you back? Believe God. Believe God. Go all in with God. Step into it. And then lastly, I think abiding in Christ is about examining our fruit often. We gotta examine our fruit often. Here's the polarizing reality about spiritual fruit. It never lies. It never lies. It always tells the truth. And that's why it's so important to God. Because for some of us, our minds can play tricks on us. Like we can make up things we can think things about ourselves that aren't true. 
We can be told things about ourselves that aren't true, but spiritual fruit overcomes that. Fruit always tells the truth. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. God's greatest desire for us in this room is that we would bear fruit. But somewhere along the line in our culture, we've stopped examining the fruit of our lives to determine our spiritual health. And what's happened is deceit has slipped in. Because we can claim to be one thing, and yet the li our lives reflect another. And it's really like practical atheism is what it is, is a better word to, to think about it as. But Christ is clear. If we want to know if we're abiding in Christ, and if our relationship with God is healthy, and if we're glorifying God, then look no further. We need to examine the fruit of our lives. And so... Here's really where I want to kind of land the plane this morning is I just want to ask you to take an honest assessment of your life. Like right now, what does the fruit of your life reveal about your spiritual condition? Like what does the fruit of your life reveal about your spiritual condition? Like do you genuinely love God? Like, do you genuinely love other people? I mean, that's what Jesus points to. He says, listen, if you reign in my love, you'll love others. You'll lay your life down for the sake of other people like I did. If you abide in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will come out of your life. And those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And listen, he doesn't just say fruit that lasts for a moment, does he? He says fruit that lasts. So we're not just being patient in one instant of our life. We're becoming a patient person. We're becoming a person of peace. We're becoming a self-controlled person. So when you look at the fruit of your life, is your life characterized by the fruit of Christ? Are you praying about the things that Christ cares about? Does your heart break for the things that Christ's heart breaks for? Lostness, injustice, orphans. People who are struggling. Like, is the heart of Christ being revealed through the fruit of your life? And listen, if you're in the room and it's not today, how much would I have to hate you to say, hey, buddy, you're a Christian. You're good. You're, you're going to heaven. And y'all know me. I'm a straight shooter. I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. Like, if you're in the room and your life is not bearing the fruit of Christ, then you have full reason to track back and say, do I know Christ? Is Christ in me? I spent years of my life there where I came down front and prayed a prayer and somebody told me I was saved. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to heaven. I got out of this line, got out of this line. And then nothing was going on inside of me. Christ was not at work in me. Somebody else had told me something. And if you're in this room, you know if the, word, if, if the Spirit of God is in you and he's doing a work, he's doing something in you. And listen, if that ain't in there, the most miserable thing you can try to do is be a Christian because it starts with us surrendering to God and saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need the true vine. So God, would you come do a work in me that I can't do in myself? So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe something in the message has spoken to you. Maybe you're here and you say, Billy, I don't know if God's working in me. I think I've had this thing all wrong. 
I've been trying to do it on my own. I didn't know I was supposed to be plugged into Christ, and Christ was supposed to be plugged into me. And this morning you say, Billy, that's what I want. I want a relationship with God. I want him to transform my life. I want him to give me a new heart, give me his spirit. That's the invitation. If you're in the room and you say, Billy, that's me, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. We wanna pray for you. Is that anybody in the room? You say, Billy, that's me this morning. I wanna be saved. I want God to begin a work in my heart and in my life. Would you lift your hand right where you are? Lift it high. Say, Billy, that's me. God. And for the rest of us in this room, Lord, I pray this morning, God, that maybe God's drawing us back to, to himself. God, maybe there's people in this room and you look at the fruit of your life and somewhere along the line, you've lost track of this being about a relationship with God, this being about obedience. And you've maybe turned from God in areas of your life, but today you know God's knocking on the door of your heart. May this morning be the morning that you come back to God and that God begins to do a work in your heart. So let's pray. Father, I do pray for that. God, we wanna be a church that bears your fruit into this city, that bears your fruit into this world. God, that reflects you, your love, your grace, your mercy, your truth, that all of that would be reflected in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we love you, in the way that we love others, and the urgency in which we live on your mission. So God, would you do a work in our church this morning? God, would you do a work in us as individuals? God, would you work in us and work through us to shine your light into this world? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. See you guys next week.